Dear loving Father in heaven, thank you so much for giving us the privilege of life. Thank you, Father, for forgiveness of sins, for the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives, and also for the ministry of the holy angels on our behalf. Glory be unto your name. Lord, we know that you require of us loyalty, faithfulness, and love, and rightly so. But of our own selves we can do nothing. We ask therefore, Lord, that you would grant to us the grace through the words we'll hear in our devotion, to be empowered, to be the sons of God, and to fulfill that which you would want us to do. Please grant us of your spirit that we may have understanding of your word, not just to be hearers but doers of your word. We pray, Lord, please put your words in my mouth and consecrate me to your service, dear Lord. Do this and take the glory. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Conflict and Courage November 8 A Chance for All Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Matthew chapter 7 verse 21 Not all who profess to be workers for Christ are true disciples. Among those who bear his name and who are even numbered with his workers are some who do not represent him in character. Till the end of time, there will be tears among the wheat. In his mercy and long-suffering, God bears patiently with the perverse and even the false-hearted. Among Christ's chosen apostles was Judas the traitor. Should it then be a cause of surprise or discouragement that there are false-hearted ones among his workers today? If he who reads the heart could bear with him who he knew was to be his betrayer, with what patience should we bear with those at fault? And not all even of those who appear most faulty are like Judas, Peter, impetuous, hasty and self-confident often appeared to far greater disadvantage than Judas did. He was oftener reproved by the Savior. But what a life of service and sacrifice was his! What a testimony does it bear to the power of God's grace! Christ connected Judas and impulsive Peter with himself. Not because Judas was covetous and Peter passionate, but that they might learn of him their great teacher and become like him, unselfish, meek and lowly in heart. He saw good material in both these men. Judas possessed financial ability and would have been of value to the church had he taken home to his heart the lessons which Christ was given by rebuking all selfishness, fraud and avarice even in the little matters of life. The world has no right to doubt the truth of Christianity because there are unworthy members in the church. 
nor should Christians become disheartened because of these false brethren. How was it with the early church? Ananias and Sapphira joined themselves to the disciples. Simon Magus was baptized. Judas Iscariot was numbered with the apostles. The Redeemer does not want to lose one soul. His experience with Judas is recorded to show his long patience with perverse human nature, and he bids us bear with it as he has borne. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is A Chance for All. We left off with seeing how Judas ruined his career and his life because of selfishness and covetousness. And then we now want to think about the whole selection and of the 12 disciples and why it was that Judas was even a part of them in the first place. And you see, this is one of the questions that has plagued the mind of many. Why is it that God, being omniscient, having a knowledge of not only the secrets of men's hearts, but even having a perfect knowledge of the future, in full light of this knowledge, still permits those who perpetrate evil to have a chance to live? Why did he permit Judas to be among the twelve? And why did he permit Satan to exist and still exist even till this day? Matthew chapter 20 verse 24 tells us something that happened that led to Jesus addressing these matters. It says in Matthew 20 verse 24, And when the ten heard it, when they heard of James and John requesting to be at the right and left of Jesus, it says when they heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. Desire of Ages, page 643, paragraph 4, and down to 644, paragraph 1, tells us there was a strife among them which of them should be accounted the greatest, that the two brothers should presume to ask for the highest position, so stirred the ten that alienation threatened. They felt that they were misguided, that their fidelity and talents were not appreciated. Judas was the most severe upon James and John. When the disciples entered the supper room, their hearts were full of resentful feelings. Judas pressed next to Christ on the left side, John was on the right side. If there was a highest place, Judas was determined to have it, and that place was thought to be next to Christ, and Judas was a traitor." End of quote. This matter of Jesus and uh, from John and James looking for the highest place caused a problem. But here we just see Judas in the picture. Judas was the person who was most offended by John and his brother, by John and his brother James, seeking for the highest place because he felt that he was the one who desired, who was supposed to be there. But then we see Judas was a traitor. We've already seen it in previous devotions how it is that Judas was already making plans to sell his Lord to give him up. But here, the Lord knew about all of this, and yet he permitted Judas to be ar around him. And the next thing that we see Jesus do is he enters into something to try and help Judas, so that we understand why it was that Jesus connected Judas with himself. The reason is he was trying to help him. And even right now, though he knew Judas was about to betray him, 
he still allowed Judas to be among those who would taste of the supper with him. In John 13, reading from verse 1, because of this strife that was happening, the disciples, they were against one another and Jesus decided to do something to teach them a lesson. It says, John 13 from verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of of the world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And the supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper, and laid aside his garments, and took a towel, and girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with a towel wherewith he was girded. Reading from Desire of Ages, page 644, paragraph 4 and 5, we are told, This action opened the eyes of the disciples. Bitter shame and humiliation filled their hearts. They understood the unspoken rebuke and saw themselves in altogether a new light. So Christ expressed his love for his disciples. Their selfish spirit filled him with sorrow. But he entered into no controversy with them regarding their difficulty. Instead, he gave them an example they would never forget. His love for them was not easily disturbed or quenched. He knew that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he came from God and went to God. He had a full consciousness of his divinity, but he had laid aside his royal crown and kingly robes and had taken the form of a servant. One of the last acts of his life on earth was to gird himself as a servant and perform a servant's part. End of quote. So why have we gone through this reading as we look at the devotion, A Chance for All? It is for us to understand the way Jesus treats those who err. The disciples at this time were all in a spirit that was wrong. Every one of them, including Judas and John, James and Peter, they all were in a strife. That's what the Bible says, there was strife among them. But Jesus did not chide them. He did not rebuke them. Instead, he gave them an example by showing them how he included all of them as part of his own. And none is greater than the other. He served them. And like we read now, this was one of the last acts of his life. Why do we not serve one another? Sometimes it is because we do not have a full consciousness of our own worth in Christ. So we are striving for the highest place. When we understand like Jesus understood concerning himself, that the Father had given all things to his hands, and he knew that nothing could disturb his standing with his Father, there was no need to strive, and he took the lowest place, knowing very well that washing the feet of his disciples would not make him any less acceptable in the eyes of his Father. We, that, we think that it makes us less dignified or that when we take a lower position, we are admitting our inferiority or another person's superiority. But is this the case? No. 
But what was the significance of what Jesus did? After he washed them, he, he reached Peter and Peter rejected it and said, no, don't wash my feet. And Jesus told him in the book of John 13 verse 7, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. And then Peter rejected and Jesus said to him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part in, with me. Peter requested for his whole body to be washed and Jesus told him, He that is washed, needed not save to wash his feet, but is clean every with. And you are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. And this is what marvels us about Jesus. He knew that Judas was not clean, but yet he permitted him to be among those whom he washed. A chance for all. That was what Jesus was doing. Why was he giving Judas a chance? Because Jesus knew. Not that he was just doing some formality. He knew that it was actually possible that in the washing of the feet of Judas, Judas could change his mind. That was why he gave a chance to Judas. And the significance of the feet washing was so that it can bring Judas to repentance, so that he can cleanse Judas of his sins. It was possible for that to happen. And that's why we are learning the lesson that even when people are in error among us, it doesn't make us to exclude them from fellowship. Because by including them, it can actually help them to transform and change from their sinful ways. Every disciple was in a sinful way at this time. They had already entered into strife, including Judas. But when Jesus was washing their feet, it was supposed to impress Judas's heart. A chance was given to him, but he did not appreciate it. Reading from Desire of Ages, page 646 now, it says to us concerning the significance of feet washing. These words, that's what Jesus said about washing the feet and they were all going to be clean. He says these words mean more than bodily cleanliness. Christ is still speaking of the higher cleansing as illustrated by the lower. He who came from the bath was clean, but the sandaled feet soon became dusty and again needed to be washed. So Peter and his brethren had been washed in the great fountain opened for sin and uncleanness. Christ acknowledged them as his, but temptation had led them into evil. And they still needed his cleansing grace. Take note, it is not just Judas, all of them. When Jesus girded himself with a towel to wash the dust from their feet, he desired by that very act to wash the alienation, jealousy, and pride from their hearts. This was of far more consequence than the washing of their dusty feet. With the spirit they then had, not one of them was prepared for communion with Christ. Until brought into a state of humility and love, they were not prepared to partake of the Paschal Supper or to share in the memorial service which Christ was about to institute. Their hearts must be cleansed. Pride and self-seeking create dissension and hatred. But all this Jesus washed away in washing their feet. A change of feeling was brought about. Looking upon them, Jesus could say, You are clean. Now there was union of heart, love for one another. They had become humble and teachable. Except Judas, each was ready to concede to another the highest place. Now, with subdued and grateful hearts, they could receive Christ's words. Like Peter and his brethren, we too have been washed in the blood of Christ, yet often through contact with evil, the haste their heart's purity is soiled. 
we must come to Christ for his cleansing grace. Peter shrank from being from bringing his soiled feet in contact with the hands of the Lord and Master. But how often we bring our sinful, polluted hearts in contact with the heart of Christ. How grievous to him is our evil temper, our vanity and pride. Yet, all our infirmity and defilement we must bring to him. He alone can wash us clean. We are not prepared for communion with him unless cleansed by his efficacy. End of quote. When Jesus was through washing their feet, he then told them in John 13, reading from verse 12, Know ye what I have done unto you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done unto you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye, if ye do them. The explanation of this, Desire of Ages, page 649, paragraph 3, puts it beautifully, saying, Christ would have his disciples understand that although he had washed their feet, that this did not in the least detract from his dignity. You call me Master and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. And being so infinitely superior, he imparted grace and significance to the service. No one was exalted as Christ, and yet he stooped to the humblest duty. That his people might not be misled by the selfishness which dwells in the natural heart and which strengthens by self-serving. Christ himself set the example of humility. He would not leave this great subject in man's charge. Of so much consequence did he regard it that he himself, one equal with God, acted as servant to his disciples. While they were contending for the highest place, he to whom every knee shall bow, he whom the angels of glory counted honor to serve, bowed down to wash the feet of those who called him Lord. He washed the feet of his betrayer. The only greatness is the greatness of humility. The only distinction is found in devotion to the service of others. There is in man a disposition to esteem himself more highly than his brother, to work for self, to seek the highest place, and often this results in evil surmisings and bitterness of spirit. The ordinance preceding the Lord's Supper is to clear away these misunderstandings, to bring man out of his selfishness, down from his stilt of self-exaltation to the humility of heart that will lead him to serve his brother." End of quote. Amen. And what we find here to be very important is the fact that all these disciples were alienated. They had cherished evil surmisings, jealousies, suspicions, pride, self-exaltations and selfishness in their heart. Jesus gave every one of them a chance. He washed everyone's feet. He was superior to them. He was sinless. He was their Lord. Yet he stooped low to wash their feet. 
and by doing this he showed that he loved all of them and that none of them were excluded because of their sins he gave every one of them a chance like we were reading in devotion earlier we see that peter himself had sins in his life judas the same thing jesus allowed judas to be a part of the 12 because he loved judas and like i said earlier there was indeed a chance for judas to be saved there was every other one of them were involved in sin just like judas judas was given a chance just like the other 11 disciples but he lost it this teaches us a very important lesson i would like to read from desire of ages page 65 655 paragraph 3 and downwards it says and the savior still had another purpose he had not withheld his ministry from him whom he knew to be a traitor the disciples did not understand his words when he said at the feet washing ye are not all clean nor yet when at the table he declared he that eateth bread with me had lifted up his heel against me john 13 verse 11 and verse 18 but afterward when his meaning was made plain they had something to consider as the as to the patience and mercy of god towards the most grievously erring though jesus knew judas from the beginning he washed his feet and the betrayer was privileged to unite with christ in partaking of the sacrament a long-suffering savior held out every inducement for the sinner to receive him to repent and to be cleansed from the defilement of sin this example is for us when we suppose one to be in error and sin we are not to divorce ourselves from him by no careless separation are we to leave him a prey to temptation or drive him upon satan's battleground this is not christ's method it was because the disciples were erring and faulty that he washed their feet and all but one of the twelve were thus brought to repentance christ's example forbids exclusiveness at the lord's supper it is true that open sin excludes the guilty this the Holy Spirit plainly teaches, 1 Corinthians 5 verse 11. But beyond this, none are to pass judgment. God has not left it with men to say who shall present themselves on, on these occasions. For who can read the heart? Who can distinguish the tares from the wheat? Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For whosoever shall eat of this bread and drink this cup of the lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the lord he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation drinketh damnation to himself not discerning the lord's body first corinthians 11 verse 28 27 and 29 then reading page 656 paragraph 4 we are told none should exclude themselves from the communion because some who are unworthy may be present Every disciple is called upon to participate publicly and thus bear witness that he accepts Christ as a personal savior. It is at these, his own appointments, that Christ meets his people and energizes them by his presence. Hearts and hands that are unworthy may even administer the ordinance, yet Christ is there to minister to his children. All who come with their faith fixed upon him will be greatly blessed. All who neglect these seasons of divine privilege will suffer loss. Of them, it may be appropriately said, ye are not all clean. End of quote. Wow. Do you hear what I just read now? Those who exclude themselves from the Lord's Supper are the ones who may be told, ye are not all clean. 
not those who you think are sinful but yet they come to it from what i just read now there are two lessons to learn one having to do strictly with the lord's supper and the feet washing and another having to do with our general relation with one another the disciples were alienated they were in sin because of selfishness and jealousy but we have learned the lesson now that this is not Christ's method to exclude people it says in the Isaiah of ages 655 paragraph 4 this example is for us when we suppose one to be in error and sin we are not to divorce ourselves from him by no careless separation are we to leave him a prey to temptation or to drive him upon satan's battleground this is not Christ's method it was because the disciples were erring and faulty that he washed their feet and all but one of the twelve were thus brought to repentance end of quote what does that teach us how do we win those who we consider to be tears who we consider to be erring it is because they were erring that jesus washed their feet it is because they had bad characters that needed to be refined in the first place that jesus even called them to be his disciples we read that in the devotion peter was impetuous john and his brother james they were called the sons of thunder they had violent behaviors then we had thomas who was a doubter we had philip who had a problem of unbelief then we had judas who was covetous all these men jesus because of this brought them to himself not because he needed their bad characters but so that he could help them and this is an example for us when we suppose one to be in error the way to treat such ones in following Christ's methods is by bringing them close so that we can minister to them like Jesus ministered to his disciples and by that ministry transform their lives. Will it work every time? Of course not. Like we see for Judas, it didn't work. But it worked for the eleven. Whether it works or doesn't work, that's not the issue. What matters is that we are following Christ's footsteps. You know, this devotion seeks to answer the question so that we can all understand the goodness and wisdom of God as to why he allowed judas to be among the twelve and that's what we are seeing here you know jesus once told a parable to this effect he said in the book of matthew 13 reading from verse 24 another parable put he forth unto them saying the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field but while men slept his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way but when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit then appeared the tears also so the servants of the householder came and said unto him sir did not thou sow good seed in thy field from whence then hath it tears he said unto them an enemy had done this the servants said unto him will thou then that we go and gather them up but he said nay lest while ye gather up the tears ye root up also the wheat with them let both grow together until the harvest and in the time of harvest i will say to the reapers gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them but gather the wheat into my barn this is the parable jesus told you know if the if we want to be want to root up the tares if we are judgmental the first person we will remove is james john and peter because they were the ones who we see record after record of their lives that they were erring do you know what it is to have this kind of spirit james and john had it's actually a bad one this spirit of superiority that spirit of wanting to get the best place over your brethren it's actually a bad spirit and that of peter pride hastiness even when jesus was telling him you are going to deny me peter said this is, i will not and jesus said you will he said i will not and jesus left him alone he challenged his master 
The other time, what did Peter do? He held Jesus by the clothes and said, No, you will not die. And Jesus had to rebuke him and said to him, Get thee behind me, Satan. So tell me, if we want to root the tears, who will be your first candidate? It will most likely be Peter, James, and John. Not the quiet Judas who doesn't say anything. That is the reason why the Lord is teaching us, Judge not, you know not who is that tear. Let both grow together. I would like to read something to this effect. Review and Herald, September 5, 1893, paragraph 1. It says, In the parable of the wheat and the tares, we see the reason why the tares were not to be plucked up. It was lest the wheat be rooted up with the tares. Human opinion and judgment would make grave mistakes. But rather than have a mistake made and one single blade of wheat rooted up, the master says, Let both grow together until the harvest. Then the angels will gather out the tares which will be appointed to destruction. Although in our churches that claim to believe advanced truth, there are those who are faulty and erring as tares among the wheat, God is long-suffering and patient. He reproves and warns the erring, but he does not destroy those who are long in learning the lesson he would teach them. He does not uproot the tares from the wheat. Tares and wheat are to grow together till the harvest when the wheat comes to its full growth and development, and because of its character when ripened, it will be fully distinguished from the tares. The church of Christ on earth will be imperfect, but God does not destroy his church because of its imperfection. There have been and will be those who are filled with zeal, not according to knowledge, who would purify the church and uproot the tares from the wheat, from the midst of the wheat. But Christ has given special light as to how to deal with those who are erring and with those who are unconverted in the church. There is to be no spasmodic, zealous, hasty action taken by church members in cutting off those they may think defective in character. Tears will appear among the wheat, but it will do more harm to weed out the tears unless in God's appointed way than to leave them alone. While the Lord brings into the church those who are truly converted, Satan at the same time brings persons who are not converted into its fellowship. While Christ is sowing the good seed, Satan is sowing the tares. There are two opposing influences continually exerted on the members of the church. One influence is working for the purification of the church and the other for the corrupting of the people of God. Jesus knew that Judas was defective in character. But notwithstanding this, he accepted him as one of the disciples and gave him the same opportunities and privileges that he gave to the others whom he had chosen. Judas was left without excuse in the evil course he afterward pursued. Judas might have become a doer of the word, as were eventually Peter and James and John and the other disciples. Jesus gave precious lessons of instruction so that those who were associated with him might have been converted and have no need of clinging to the defects that marred their characters. Some people seem to think that upon entering the church, they will have their expectations fulfilled and meet only with those who are pure and perfect. They are zealous in their faith and when they see faults in church members, they say, we left the world in order to have no association with evil characters, but evil is here also. And they ask, as did the servants in the parable, from whence then hath it tears? 
but we need not be thus disappointed for the lord has not warranted us in coming to the conclusion that the church is perfect and all our zeal will not be successful in making the church militant as pure as the church triumphant the lord forbids us to proceed in any violent way against those whom we think erring and we are not to deal out excommunications and denunciations to those who are faulty finite man is likely to misjudge character but god does not leave the work of judgment and pronouncing upon character to those who are not fitted for it we are not to say what constitutes the wheat and what the tares the time of the harvest will fully determine the character of the two classes specified under the figure of the tares and the wheat. The work of separation is given to the angels of God and not committed into the hands of any man. False doctrine is one of the satanic influences that work in the church and brings into it those who are unconverted in heart. Men do not obey the words of Jesus Christ and thus seek for unity in faith, spirit and doctrine end of quote. So, the lesson is for all of us. There is that desire. You see, we, like we read now, the church militant is not the church triumphant. The church is imperfect in, in, sense, in the sense of the fact that it has Mary Magdalene, in the sense that it has Simon, it has Peter, it has James, it has John, it has Judas. But in the time of the harvest, it was revealed who will never change and that was Judas. We had Simon who was a leper who was also a sinner just like Mary Magdalene. They were adulterers in the church. There were also people like Judas covetous and selfish. There was people like Peter, proud, even James and John, the same thing, violent, proud people. But do we remove them? There is a growth taking place. There is a growth taking place. You may see someone in the church who is presenting false doctrine at the time. But that person can change tomorrow. You may see one who is involved in the most grievous abominable sins in your eyes. But that person can also change tomorrow. And that is the reason why the way we are to work is like Christ worked. Let both grow together. Judas was growing. Peter was growing. James and John and Nathaniel and Matthew, Philip. They were all growing together with Judas till the harvest. And when is the harvest? It's only the Lord who can do that work of rooting out the tears. And it's not for us to do. We were told now, do not deal out excommunications and denunciations on the characters of people. That person who you see today, who may be such a terrible person, can tomorrow be a Peter, can be a John. We are not saying now that there are no apparent sins in the life of people. Yes, there are, there are apparent sins in the lives of people. We see it. But even at that, how do we deal with it? That's what we are dealing with today. We read in our devotion, a chance for all. Everybody still deserves to have a chance. Regardless of how badly you see the sin in their life, we were seeing clearly Mary Magdalene's sin. And also, they said that day, this woman is a sinner. But did Jesus give her a chance? Yes, he gave her a chance. He did not say, oh, your gift is not accepted because you are a sinner. Neither would Jesus refuse to wash her feet if she was among them that day. She was also given a chance. And we should learn from our Lord. Give everyone a chance. And also another lesson we should learn is that we are not to have this mindset that we run away from the fold of God because we see imperfections in those who are in the church. 
there is a difference between when one is looking for a place where he will be fed with the word of God and then you go to a place where you are fed with the word of God. But when you say, oh, because of the imperfections, ah, this is not the church of God. No, the church of God being militant may have its imperfections but that doesn't mean that you sit down in a place where day after day you are being taught false doctrines and you are imbibing the false doctrines you will certainly end up as a tear the church is the pillar and ground of truth what does that mean that means coming from the pulpit the truth must also must always come from the pulpit it is very dangerous highly dangerous to your spiritual growth and your eternal salvation to be in any place where error is coming out from the pulpit every time you must leave error that doesn't mean you've left the church of god but you must always remember that you are not to have that spirit of feeling like oh i need a place where everyone has perfect characters what we look for is a place where the truth will be preached the person who is even preaching the truth like we read here concerning the Passover and the feet washing that the person who is even giving it may have his own hands not unclean we are told desire of ages page 656 paragraph 4 none should exclude themselves from the communion because some who are unworthy may be present every disciple is called upon to participate publicly and thus bear witness that he accepts Christ as his personal savior and we are told hearts and hands that are unworthy may even administer the ordinance yet christ is there to minister to his children end of quote how do we apply this even in the church your minister your pastor you may know that he has a sin in his life but what you should be checking is this is he speaking the truth that is it heart unworthy but yet the communion is not something that is unworthy it is still the communion it is the body of christ and you should take it so also is the truth you may see someone who is a thief or an adulterer or somebody who is just sinful in one way or the other. It is not the person's life that determines what is truth. Even if the person is unworthy, if the person is pointing you to the word of God, you are to accept it. Don't say, I will not accept it because it is coming from someone who is unworthy. Then it is you who is not clean. Like we read, well may it be said of you, you are not clean because you refuse the truth and you are looking at the person who is presenting it. I trust that by the grace of God, we will learn to practice this lesson that Jesus is teaching us of letting both grow together and trying our best to be inclusive and help those who are erring and not to be exclusive and take them away from the church in the terms of excommunications and all. May the Lord give us the grace to put these things in practice. Of course, we also learned that open sin does exclude people from the communion. Yes, but we are talking about that evil surmise and that jealousy that we have even when people are in open sin. If they do repent, they are well included. Mary was in open sin. Jesus did allow her to be part of his disciples. May the Lord give us the grace to have the mind of Christ is my prayer. Let us pray. Dear Lord in heaven, thank you so much for the lessons you've taught us. I know that these things may not be clear in the mind of some, but I pray, Lord, that by your grace, you help us to settle in the truth. Whatever questions people may have in mind, I pray, Lord, that you help us to find satisfying answers, not from anybody, not satisfaction to our own opinions, but satisfaction based on what your will is. Forgive us for all the times that we have been narrow-minded or that we have felt 
that we are some people are not worthy to even preach to us or to even give us the communion because we know of some sin in their lives forgive us for all of this and we pray lord that you help us to walk right behind you following you and not going in another way different from the way you have shown us thank you lord for hearing our prayers and thank you for answering in jesus name i've prayed amen